the sixth week in our series called Tough Stuff. Somebody say tough stuff for me today. And this series has been a number of conversations that we've had um, that are large and charged about some pretty large topics. And some of these have been a direct sort of challenge and confrontation to some of the ways and practices of the culture. So we've probably gotten up into a lot of kitchens over the last number of weeks, is my guess, and uh, that's all right. Now, the last three weeks in particular, we've been in the realm of sex and sexuality. That's been large. And I did promise you last week that we were going to move on to other things, right? You're my witnesses. And since I'm a man of my word, we're going to move on to other subjects this week. So I wondered if there'd be great rejoicing when I said that. But anyway, it's okay. Do you know what, though? I joke. It's been really good because God has had lots of things to say to us and remind us of in the last few weeks. And he's going to do that again today as well. And today what we're talking about specifically is money. Somebody say money. money. And I can't read your minds. I don't know your thoughts. But my guess is that when I tell you that we're going to talk about money this morning, there's a whole range of different responses that you might have in your mind. Some people, it's funny, it's really funny about this. In the last, say, six months, I've had some people come up to me and say, Braden, we don't talk about money nearly enough. And so when you hear we're going to talk about money, you might think, awesome, today's the day, great. In the very same kind of time frame, I've had people come up to me and say, Braden, we talk about money way too much. So I don't really know what to do with that, but you might be a person who is like not super pumped to be talking about this. You might say, that's a little bit too personal for me, a little bit too up in my kitchen. I'd rather we like go back to the sex stuff, <laughs> right? And maybe you've got some degree of skepticism in your mind of when the words church and money come into the same sentence, right? Maybe for you it seems like, oh, this is all a big money grab and the pastor needs a new jet or something. It won't fit in my parking space out here, so you have nothing to worry about. We'll edit that part out. Anyway, the reality is, I want to just say this too. Like some of you guys are newer here. You're hanging around, checking out like what's up with this group of people. If you're new here, we don't want your money. Can we just like establish that? We're not here to like suck your wallet out of your pocket somehow. You don't have to like hide it or bring it on a chain. We don't want your money. If you're newer and hanging around and checking it out, we want you. We love you. We're glad you're here. We want to get to know you. We want to walk with you as we walk with Jesus together. Notice I did not say money one time in there. So let it be so. Let it just, let it just roll off your back. But in all this, my point is, it's a difficult conversation to have sometimes because it's quite sensitive. And the reason that it's quite sensitive is that money has a very strong hold on a lot of people. Very strong hold. And that can manifest itself in all kinds of different ways. But the reality is a lot of people, both inside and outside the church, spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of focus, a lot of worry and stress and pursuing over money. It's a very central thing in a lot of our lives. And in some ways, there is some cultural influence that kind of makes its way into this conversation, right? If you, if you pay attention to the messaging and the mentality about money from the culture, it's this. You need more of it. You need more money because it's a status symbol. And not only do you need to have it, you need to be able to show people that you have it. 
Just like watch any car commercial that's ever been on TV, that's the message that they send. You're nobody till you drive this car, till you can show everybody how rich and powerful and awesome you are. Even if it sounds crazy, that's what they're saying. The culture sends a message of, if you have more money, you'll be looked up to. And you say, well, I want to be looked up to. I want to be respected. So I better like put a lot of focus on money. And in contrast, sometimes what the culture communicates is if you have less money, well, then you should be looked down on. The culture sometimes sends the message or we can really easily buy into this line of, oh, if I had more money, I'd have fewer problems. That may or may not be true, just saying. And in all this, sometimes we forget that God also has something to say about our money. And that's what we're going to explore today. But as you might suspect, what God says about our money and what the culture says about our money, it's not really the same thing sometimes. Where the culture says money is a status symbol, God says, you could have all the money in the world, it wouldn't impress me. It wouldn't impress me a bit. Where the culture sends the message of if you have more money, uh, you're, you're sort of more worthy. God says, your worthiness, your righteousness, your standing before me, it's got zero to do with money. Not even like a point of a percentage does it have to do with money. Not about that at all. And God would say, where the culture says, uh, if you have more money, you have fewer problems, God says, I happen to have this book right here and a long history that would show you that that's not really the case. And if there's any hip-hop fans in the room, I think it was the notorious B.I.G. that said in the 90s, mo money, mo problems. And some people can testify to that. I know people that have told me, oh, I have made $500,000 and I was broke and miserable. So it's not really about all that. So we need to get onto God's program about money. We need to combat this pull, this obsession that we sometimes have with money. And what God would remind you of this morning, it's a line we say all the time around here, it's this, God has a life for you. Say that, God has a life for you. Thank you, very good. And this life is marked and characterized by us abiding in Christ, having a relationship with Jesus and walking with him and serving him and worshiping him and obeying him and enjoying him. It's all about us centering ourselves on Jesus Christ. And when we do things like money is one example of where we do this, we might like pull back from God and hide things and say, God, you can have this part of me, but not this part of me. You can have my Sunday morning, but you can't have my money, that kind of stuff. To do that is to diminish the quality of life that God has for you, because God has a good, full, meaningful, purposeful, impactful life in mind for you. I love that that was mentioned earlier. God has a plan for you, for a hope and a future. And we just believe that so much, that's why we got to talk about this. So we don't want to hold ourselves back from God. And if you say, well, I think I might want to hold myself back from God. You say, God has a life for me. Well, my life financially is fine just the way it is. A, I'm not sure I believe you, just being honest. But B, you're telling me that God would offer you a life a good, full, meaningful, gusto life, part of which involves the financial, and you would say, no, I'm good. I don't want an increase in that. I'm good. Well, that's ridiculous. That's foolish. So it's time for us to get on to God's plan and God's program about money. And the reality is, life is about more than money. Let me just say that to somebody today. It says, it says in Luke 12, 15, that life consists of more than abundance and possessions. So we would do well to remember that. It's time for us to stop letting money have such a grip on us. 
And instead, we want to get a grip on what the Lord has for us. So are we good? You want to keep going? Is this good so far? All right. I'm doing it anyway. It doesn't matter. So what I want to do, I want to tell you today six things that are God's will for your money. God might have a particular will for you. You know, you, Braden, go give that person $10, and he might not say that to you. But there are some universal principles about money that are true for every single, every single one of us. Every single believer, God has this will for you about your money. So there's six of them. Number one, God's will for your money is that you would understand that your money is really God's money. Somebody says, I don't like where this sermon is going at all. Where's the eject button? <laughs> Your money is really God's money. It says in Psalm 24, verse 1, that the earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof. See what's included there? All the fullness of everything. That would include your money. It says in Psalm 50, verse 10, that even the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. I don't know if you have cattle or not. It doesn't matter. It's God's. First Chronicles 29, verses 11 and 12. It's going to be on the screen, but I want to read it to you here. You'll notice a theme in here. You're very smart people, so watch this now. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all, how much? All that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Now, if you're thinking, well, so far he hasn't explicitly mentioned money. Whew, that was close. Verse 12 says, both riches and honor come from you. Dang it. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Again, I think you've seen the trend and the pattern emerging here. Everything belongs to God. Every single thing. And we try to get around that, oh, well, well, what about this? Yeah, that's God's. What about my, this thing that I built? That's God's. What about my money? That's God's. It isn't your money at all. Matter of fact, nothing that you have is truly yours. What really is the case, what's really going on here, is that God has made you a steward of what you have. Somebody say steward. Getting you guys to do a lot of participation today. The word steward, if you've never heard of that before, a steward is someone who is entrusted by someone over them, above them, in authority over them. They're entrusted with the affairs or the estate or the uh, things of the master. And the idea is that though the steward doesn't own it, they use it for a while, they look after it, they manage, a steward is a manager really, they manage what belongs to the one in authority over them and they use what they're entrusted with for the good and benefit and the honor of the one who's over them. That's what a steward does. I would just remind you this morning that you and I have someone who is over us and in authority over us and his name is Jesus. He is our master, and he has made you a steward of whatever in your life you have control or influence or authority over or whatever figure is in your bank account, whether that's a large figure or a small figure. That belongs to Jesus, and he has made you a steward of it. All things were made through him, by him, and for him, it says in the book of Colossians. So everything you have belongs to Jesus. And I think even if we just got this one thing, into our minds about our money. We wouldn't even really need the other five because this one is such a, a, a change in mindset. 
If I could get on to the understanding that my money is really God's, that would change everything. Because you know what? You look at things different when they don't belong to you versus when they do belong to you. Give you an example. I drive an old car. Not like the classic, like, antique kind of old car that, like, you would desire to go out and spend a lot of money for. I drive a 2005 Toyota Corolla. It's got 430,000 kilometers on it. It's been around the block. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I love the car. Standard transmission, love the car. And I, like, try to take care of it. I'm not, like, driving it off at jumps or something, right? But uh, at the end of the day, I'm not really going to lose any sleep. If, that, if I was driving home after church and it, like, the engine fried and I was just there and that was the end of the car, like, that would be kind of unfortunate, but I'm not going to lose a ton of sleep over it because it doesn't really owe me a nickel. It's an old car. About a week ago, though, <coughs> pardon me, I got to drive my in-law's car. Now, they don't drive like a Ferrari, but they have a 2016, so it's like exponentially newer than mine. It's a Toyota Camry Extreme Sport Edition. Jet black, it's got a nice console in it, it's got a little pep in the step, it's a nice car. And I got to drive it, and again, I, I'm careful in my car, but when I was driving that car, I'm looking around, I'm checking the backup camera, I'm like over the top, I'm watching my speed like super close, because it doesn't belong to me. It's not mine. It's the same with our money. It's not yours. It belongs to God, and he has made you a steward of it. I've harped on this one long enough. Let's go on to the next one. God's will for your money, number two, is that you would understand that money is or can be a good gift from God. It's a gift, right? It's not the center of your life. It's also not a curse. It's something that God has intended to be a gift for you when we use it the right way, and that's the crux with money. You've heard the expression before that a good thing used the wrong way is no longer a good thing, right? Give you an example. Since we're coming into the holidays, you guys have probably seen the movie from the 80s called A Christmas Story. Okay, good. I was going to say, we, we have to pause right now if we haven't. That's the one with the guy with the big glasses, Ralphie. And in that movie, he is asking and asking for a Red Rider BB gun for Christmas. Somebody says, Ralphie sounds like my kind of guy. Anyway, he asks and asks and asks for it. There's nothing wrong inherently with a BB gun. It would have been a good gift. What does his mother keep saying, though? She doesn't want him to have it. She says, if you have that gun, you'll shoot your eye out, right? It wouldn't be good for you. If, if you have this gift that can be good if used the right way, but if you use it the wrong way, it's going to be bad for you and bad that you have it. Don't really want you to shoot your eye out. That's all I'll say about the movie. You should go home and watch it. But anyway... Money is the very same way. When we use and look at money the right way, it's good that we have it. But when we look at money and use money the wrong way, it's not really that great that you have it. Some people, what they don't need is more money. Because if you use it in an ungodly and unhelpful way, it's not a good gift. It says in Matthew 13, uh, Jesus in Matthew 13 is telling the parable of the sower. Now, we're not going to read the story of the parable of the sower, but the idea is this. The word of God goes out and it hits all kinds of people in different ways. And Jesus says one demographic of those people in verse 22, it says that some seed proves unfruitful because the deceitfulness of riches choke it out. In other words, God's word comes into your life. God wants to do something in your life. But when you're consumed with this pursuit of riches, that dulls you, it makes you ineffective for the things that God wants you to do. 
That's absolutely true. It brings you off into this ditch and, and you get so consumed by it. Well, that's not what God wants for you. That's not a godly pursuit of money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Let's just be clear on that one. That does not say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is neutral. Money is supposed to be a good gift. It's the love of money, the improper, the ungodly love and pursuit and devotion and affection for money is the root of all kinds of evil. People have done things. You may have seen this. Maybe you've done it yourself. When people are bent and determined and set their hope and pursuit in money, it leads them or can lead them to do crazy things that they never thought they'd ever do. Just watch like any crime show that's ever been on TV. A lot of them are money-driven. Someone like killed someone or whatever the case may be. Money can do that. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says that he who loves money, again, that unholy, ungodly pursuit of money, will not be satisfied with money. Sounds kind of ironic, but it's true. When you set all of your hope in money, when you look to money to uh, make you content and give you everything that you need and you make it your center in life, it actually never satisfies Money promises everything, it actually can't deliver everything it promises on. And by the way, just to give a little bit extra validity to that verse, that was written by King Solomon, who was one of the richest men to ever walk the face of the earth. He says, I've been there, I've tried it, it doesn't cut it, it's not good enough. There's more than money. So that's a, a, a bad pursuit of money. But in contrast, it is possible for us to take a godly look at, have a godly heart and usage of money. And when that is the case, that becomes a good thing. That's a gift from God. When you use money the right way and look at it the right way, you can use it to bless other people, like provide for your family, build up the kingdom, honor the Lord. That's a good thing. That's where we're reminded, James 1.17, I didn't write it out here, but it says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And as we consider that, like every good gift that comes from above, we want to turn it around right back and let it be something that's honoring and glorifying to God. And money can be that, if we have the right heart toward it. Money can be a gift from God. Number three, now, you might be rolling on right with me this morning pretty good. I suspect here's where some people, at least in practice, might start to disagree with me. God's will for your money is that God asks for the first portion of your income. Somebody says, I really now don't like where this is going. But it's true, God asks for the first portion of your income. You say, well, why? Like, does God need my money? No, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He got lots of money. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. You say, is there like a problem? Is there like, has heaven got like a supply chain shortage because of COVID? Like, is there a bridge out somewhere? Like, is God in trouble? No, he's doing just fine. The reason that God asks for the first portion of your income is actually not for his sake at all. You know who it's for? It's for your sake and my sake. Look at the scriptures here. Proverbs 3.9, it says that we are to honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. The first fruits, that's an important word. Leviticus 27.30 says that every tithe of the land, we'll come back to that word tithe, every tithe of the land is the Lord's. Deuteronomy 12.11 says that we are to bring the whole tithe and all the contributions to the place where the Lord's name dwells. That's what it says there. And then Malachi 3.10, that's one of the most famous verses on tithing in the whole Bible. It says, this is God talking. He says, I want you to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now you say, what in the world is all that about? What's going on here? What's being communicated here? Well, let's break it down. What these verses are telling us is that we are to bring the tithe, 
the whole tithe to the place where God desires it to be brought, and it's the first fruits. So let's, let's, get, let's get into this. A tithe means a tenth part. Somebody say a tenth part. It's a tenth of something. It's 10% of something. That's what the word tithe means. Whatever you're talking about, about a tithe, it's 10% of something. In this case, we're talking about our income. You might say, like, why is it 10%? Why doesn't God ask me for, like, 1%? That would be a little better. I'll tell you why. 10% is a number that is big enough to make you notice. Like, if someone asked you for half a percent of something, you'd probably just give it and not really think about it, right? Oh, okay, sure, it's like $5, whatever. 10% is enough to make you notice. There has to be some thought and some heart that goes into it. But it's not so much that it like cripples you. God isn't saying you give me 90% and you can live off the 10, right? It's a manageable number. And what's crucial to understand is the tithe is not just any 10th part, any 10%, it's the first 10%. It's the first fruits. And that's really important to consider because if you give that tithe at the end, right, you sit down, and you say, okay, here's my ledger. I've got this expense, that expense, that bill to pay. Got to keep the lights on. Got to keep food in the fridge. Got to put gas in my car. I got all these expenses. I'll pay all these bills. And then at the end of the month, Lord, if I got anything left, which I probably won't, you can have it. I, I would happily give you whatever 5 to $10 are left at the end of it all. Here you go. Well, that doesn't take any faith. It doesn't take one bit of faith to give the leftovers, but it does take faith to give the first part before the bill is paid, before that need is met. That's large, right there. This is tough stuff for a reason, right? It takes faith to give the 10%. You say, Lord, I don't know how this is all gonna work out, but I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna give to you first, and I'm gonna count on you to take care of me. Now, the other thing is about the place of the tithe. You can see in there, uh, Deuteronomy 12, 11, and in Malachi 3, 10, it talks about bringing the tithe to the place where the, the Lord's name dwells, or it mentions the storehouse. What that's talking about ultimately is the church. You say, there it is, there's the money grab for the church. You're telling me I gotta bring the first 10% of my income to the church. Why can't I just bring it somewhere else? Why can't I donate it to charity? Why can't I put it toward a good cause? Well, it's because God wants us to remember this is a spiritual exercise. He didn't want you to just give your money to some random charity, good as that charity may be. I'm not knocking charity at all by any means. But we bring it to the storehouse, to the place where the Lord's name dwells. That's the church. One, because it's to remind us it's a spiritual activity, but two, because the Lord knows that when you bring the tithe to the storehouse, to the church, that enables the church to be able to do more ministry in Jesus' name. That's how it all works. That's the mechanics of it there, right? It says that there may be food in my house. I don't know about you guys, I want there to be lots of food up in this house, just saying. Now, let's just be straight on this. This sounds kind of intense, right? If you haven't like done this before, this might sound like, are you joking me right now? Are you actually serious? Who is this guy and what is wrong with him? Me. But here it is. Here's the word of the Lord. And though this is scary, I want to encourage you in something. This comes with a wonderful promise. One of the best promises, in my opinion, in all of Scripture. If you could go to the next slide, you'll see Malachi 3.10, the second part of the verse. God has said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there'll be food in my house. And look what he says. And put me to the test 
says the Lord of hosts. That's the only place in the whole Bible where God says you can test him in something, by the way. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not throw open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. He, God doesn't just say, I'll, you know, slowly open the window. He's going to throw open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. That doesn't say God is going to make you rich. That is going to say, though, that God is going to take care of your needs. I don't know what your needs are today, but we all have financial needs in some respect, and maybe it goes beyond that. God is promising right here and saying, test me and watch me deliver on this. If you will trust me in this area of your life that is a stronghold for so many people, if you would break that and trust me with it, I will come through for you 100%. That is what God promises. And here's the thing. God can do more with the 90% that you have left. God can show up and do more in your life with that 90% after you tithe than you can do on your own with the 100% that you didn't tithe. And you say, that doesn't make any logical sense, but it's the truth. This is God's economy. This is how it works. You say, I've got 100 percent, say it's $100 here, and you're telling me that if I only had 90 left, it's going to go further than the 100? That makes no sense. That's God. That's what he's promising. God can and will do this. Trust in him in this. Put him to the test and see him deliver. And again, it's not talking about just, oh, well, I tried this once, and I don't know if it worked. This is a, a spiritual discipline. This is a practice to get into. Continually trust me in this, says the Lord, and you watch me come through for you. I guarantee, I guarantee there are people up in the house right now that can testify to that promise. And I am one of those, I'll be honest with you. I want to give you a little bit of a story from my life on this. Please understand, this is not one of these, Pat Braden on the back. I messed this up royally for years. Completely messed it up. When I was younger, let's say in university, I did not do this. And I didn't really have any money, so I felt a little less guilty about not doing this. But that was completely beside the point. When I was in university... I either just wouldn't tithe at all, or I would give like a little bit. And here's what my situation was. Uh, during the school year, I didn't work, except for I helped to run a youth group once a week, and I got paid $60 a week, six zero, which I was grateful for. I thought that was awesome, but $60 a week is $240 a month-ish. Not really gonna like, you know, get a person through the stormy season. But anyway... I wouldn't tithe on that at all. Actually, how, you can answer this for me. My pay was $60. How much was my tithe supposed to be? $6. You're very smart people. $6. Here's what I would do. This was, how, this was how pathetic of an excuse this was, okay? I'd get paid. I'd come to church on Sunday. The offering box is right there. I knew what I was supposed to do. Here's what I would say. It's not worth it for me to tithe. It's not even worth my time because this was in the era before we even had a debit machine. I'm like, if I'm gonna give $6, I gotta like go write a check, which costs money, or they did for me in those days, or I gotta like find a 20 and break it to make $6. It's not even worth the time and the effort. And this was to, to add a little bit of cherry on top. I said, and the church isn't gonna miss it. It's $6, good grief. If we're $6 short, like surely someone can chip it in. God is not going to miss my $6. You know what I was doing? I was completely missing the point. 
completely missing the point. A little bit of time went on, and I got my first sort of career job. I was working at a church plant as a worship director, and that was awesome. I was glad to be able to do that, like, for a living. Um, I wasn't making much of a living, though. Um, my financial situation, some of you will resonate with this. My financial situation in those days was, you know how it is, you take your wallet out, you open it up, and the fly flies out? Like, that was, that was my situation back in then. And I was looking for a second job, not having any luck finding it. I had a, that was before we got married, like a number of months before our wedding, and those cost money, and I was not, like, coming ahead at all. And I'm like, if anything, like, if the car breaks down or anything happens, like, I'm in trouble, Right around that same time, I was reminded of this word about tithing. And I said, okay, I also work at a church now. Perhaps it would be good. This was the immaturity in my thinking. Perhaps it would be good to like start doing this properly, set a good example or whatever. So I started to tithe. And it was not much. It did not like weigh the offering box down in any capacity. But I started to do this. I said, Lord, I can't afford to tithe. That's the line we use. But I said, I'm going to trust you in this. And very soon after I started getting into this and doing this, the Lord started delivering. One of the things he did was he caused the phone to ring one day, and it was a potential employer. It was a guy that ran a leather shop, and he said, I want to bring you in to work in my shop. I had obviously applied. I don't know anything about leather. Like, I'm not the least bit qualified to work with leather, but he said, I want you to come in. And he said, the reason I want you to come in, you're not more qualified than anybody else, it's because he saw that I worked at a church. The guy was a Christian. Right? The Lord will line things up like that. So I said, okay, great. I went in. I didn't scare him too badly. He said, okay, I'll hire you. And it was a job that worked with my hours for my other job. It so mysteriously just happened to work out. Wink, wink, right? I worked that first week. And during that first week, I'll never forget this. I, Lori was telling me our wedding photographer was sort of inquiring about the deposit that he was supposed to be paid that I wasn't aware about. He needed to be paid. The, he said, so I checked with him. Yeah, normally you would pay a deposit. You don't just pay me on the day of. Oh, you take a deposit. I said, okay, how much is your deposit that you need? He says, $300. And after I picked myself up off the floor, I said, I don't have $300. Are you kidding me? Like, I can give you $3. I said, I should have said, I can give you 30 which is a tithe of 300 That would just keep it biblical, right? I said, I don't have $300, but I said, all right, I'll figure something out. I don't know what, but we'll figure something out. That same week, that Friday, that was my first week of work, the boss came in Friday afternoon and he handed me a check. And these were his words. He said, it just so happens to be pay week. And he said, you've worked every day this week. Here's the money that you're owed. So I grabbed the check and I flipped it over. And can anybody guess the number that was on the check? It was approximately $9 million. Actually, it was $298. It wasn't quite the $300, but I was somehow able to scrounge up a toonie from somewhere and just so happened to have enough to pay this deposit, this need that came up that I was not prepared for. That's God. That's how God works. And he did a work in my heart in that season. And I immediately at that point, I said, okay, Lord, you got me. You got me on this. Maybe your need is bigger than $300. Maybe it's nine million. Maybe it's monstrous need. The promise is right there. God has done this in my life. I guarantee you there are other people that could say the very same thing that God has done it. 
Once I started tithing, yeah, I'm not getting rich up in here. I don't think we've got any millionaires in the house. But God has been faithful. Put him to the test. When he requires that first portion of your income, take him at his word and do it. I promise you, you will not regret doing that. That's where it is. All right, got to move on. Number four about our finances. God's will for our finances is this. God wants you to be wise financially. Somebody say wise. That's in the scriptures, like all through the book of Proverbs and in lots of other places, you can see this concept of financial wisdom. And financial wisdom isn't, okay, how do I get rich? It's how do I manage what the Lord has given me in a responsible way so that I'm not like constantly doing this. I got money one day and then I don't and then I've blown it and where did it all go? Oh, my word. No, wisdom involves like a stability and a steadfastness in our finances. There is some really bad teaching that exists in the world of the church. I don't mean in our church, but in other churches that says that God wants to make you rich. You ever heard that teaching before? They would call that like prosperity gospel. They say, if you just have enough faith in the Lord, perhaps if you just like send in your credit card number, like God will make you rich and you will prosper in all that you set your hand to because God wants to make you happy. That's a pretty strong misrepresentation of what actually God is likely to do in your life. I'll just be honest with you. God does have some for some people to get rich, he has for most of us to not be rich. But what God does want for every single person, every single believer, is that you would be wise financially. Sometimes, the way it works, we get into situations where we're a little short on the dough. And it's not necessarily because you've done anything wrong or stupid or unwise or sinful. Sometimes maybe you like experienced a job loss. And then, as a result of that, you didn't have a lot of money kind of kicking around. Uh, maybe... It was a period of time while you were a student. Students are not supposed to have money, generally speaking. So it doesn't always mean you've done something dumb or unwise if you don't have any money. But sometimes, if we're being completely honest, that is the case. And I've been there. I don't have any money. Well, why not, Braden? Well, I blew it on dumb stuff, right? I'm sure that wouldn't be any of you guys, but I've been there. Sometimes we don't manage well. Sometimes we're not wise. Sometimes we get into like expensive habits that we don't really need to have and they cost a lot of money. And God is saying like, well, like, yeah, I'm gonna provide for you, but like what he really wants for you is to be stable and steadfast and wise in this area of your life because when you, and I know you know this is true, when we're doing this roller coaster kind of thing with money and we get especially down to the bottom part, it's really easy to worry and stress and freak out and fret over money, and that consumes us, right? And, and God doesn't want us to have that. God wants you to be steadfast and stable in your life. So that might mean we gotta like start budgeting or we gotta like watch what we spend, whatever that means for you. God wants you to be wise with your finances because when you're wise financially, what that's gonna do in your life, again, that doesn't mean you're gonna get rich, but that means that you're able to come into a place of contentment. You're able to come into a place of peace and that stability we're talking about. You read like Matthew chapter six, Jesus reminds us, I'm gonna take care of all that stuff. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says that we're to keep ourselves free from the love of money and be content with what we have because God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. You can just see the steadfastness, the stability in there. That's what God wants for you in your finances. Number five, this is actually part of being wise with your finances. God's will for your money, your money, is that you would be generous with your money. Somebody say generous. generous. 
2 Corinthians 9, 7 is a good reminder of that. God loves a cheerful giver. You know why God loves a cheerful giver? Because God himself is a cheerful giver. This is a large concept through scripture. Here's generally the way it works. God is a generous God. God is, he just lavishes things upon us, everyone in the world. I mean, God just, God does stuff. God provides, God shows up. It's awesome. And as believers, like we've seen his hand in our lives, he is very generous. Would you agree that God is generous in your life today? Good. And the, the, the utmost example of the generosity of God, we can see that when we consider the cross of Jesus Christ. You think about the cross, you remember that, oh, it's not that God is generous with me because he owes me something. Just let that be known today. Like God does not owe you and I anything, not one bit of anything. Sometimes we walk around like we're entitled, like God owes us stuff. He doesn't. Matter of fact, what the Bible teaches us is that we have all sinned against God. We have separated ourselves from God. We have made ourselves hostile against him, enemies of his. We have gone against him, treated him with contempt, uh, fallen short of his glory and his standards, declared war on him. It's not good. That's our sin, and that's every one of us. But God, not because he had to, but because he wanted to, because he loves us, because out of his heart of generosity, he wanted to do this, God provided a solution to our sin problem, and that's Jesus He sent his one and only son to the cross so that he could die in our place for our sin, for our debt that we owed. It's not even that God had a debt to owe and there he did it. Like it was our debt, not his. But he loves you. God loves you today and he has proven it by his generosity in sending his one and only son. That was a costly, costly thing for him to do. That cost him everything. What was most near and dear to him, it cost him because he is generous because that's who he is, because that's right into the core of his character. God is a generous God. We cannot forget that. Consider the cross, and that will help us remember it. And so, as people of God, as people who have been saved through faith in what Jesus has done on the cross and his rising from the grave, we come into this place where, watch this now, we are to be generous ourselves because our God is generous. Because God is generous, we're to follow in that and be generous ourselves. We're to look more like Jesus, for one thing. If Jesus is good, well, I want to be good. If Jesus is righteous, I want to pursue that. If Jesus is holy, I want to go after that. If Jesus is generous, I want to be generous. That's the trajectory of a Christian. That's why God loves a cheerful giver. So rather than living, and it's so easy to do this, to live closed-handedly, I'm just going to wrap my fist around everything that I think is mine. I'm going to try to just hold it all in and hoard it all for myself. What God actually wants for you is to live open-handed. You're not trying to just keep it all into yourself. You're letting God's blessing come to you and flow from your hand onto other people. That's generosity. You've heard me say before, God doesn't want you to be a reservoir but a river. Right, a reservoir like a dam holds water in. It doesn't let anything out. And the things that are downstream don't get that blessing, don't get that flow. The dam is holding it all back in unto itself. But a river just flows and it goes for it and it continues on and it starts back here and it just keeps flowing and everything downstream in its path gets the benefit of it. That is how God wants you to be. God doesn't want you to wrap your arms around everything and hold it to yourself. God says, if you would be generous and let my blessing flow through you onto others, that's the kind of life I want you to live. And here's the thing about generous people. Generous people understand a part of the heart of God that that non-generous people don't. Generous people actually experience a peace from God. 
that people that aren't generous don't know about. People that are generous actually get to come in on a little bit of a blessing that non-generous people don't. You see Psalm, or Luke 6.37, Jesus says you give and it will be given unto you. Right? It says that you give and God is going to give you more. Now that's not the motivation even to give for a generous person, but it happens to be a perk and a fringe benefit. It's a person that knows if I give generously, God's going to take care of me. If I give this away, like God is going to make sure in his economy that I get it, that I have what I need. That's how God works. That's why it says in Psalm 112.5, it is well, it is well with the man who deals generously. It goes well for that person. So not only do we get to see that provision of God in our lives when we're generous, but it leads to a peace and a blessing and a joy. Like God, like I, I want that in my life. I want that peace and that joy. Do you want a peace and a joy in your life, your financial life? That's where it comes from. Trusting God and being generous. That's what it is. And the last one, number six. God's will for your money, your money, is that understand that money provides an opportunity for us to worship. Somebody say worship. Many people tragically take the path of worshiping their money. To worship something is to put it at the center of your life. You surround your life on that thing. You put your hope and your confidence and your trust in that thing. You make sacrifices for that thing. Your calendar revolves around that thing. That's worship. And when people worship money, that's an idol. An idol is simply anything that you try to put in God's place. I think somebody was talking about idols already today. That must have been a coincidence. Not. An idol is anything. It can even be a good thing. You try to put it in the place of God in your life, and that upsets the whole order. That upsets the whole balance. We're off kilter on that. And many people make money that idol. It's the center of their life. It's their driving focus. Many people try to put their confidence and their hope in their money. The problem is we're supposed to do that with Christ. He is our hope. He is our confidence. He is our peace. He is the life. What we can do, though, rather than worshiping our money, we can choose to worship God with our money. It's an entirely different perspective. It's to put God and allow God to occupy the throne of our hearts where he rightfully, rightfully belongs and to say, God, everything I have. We even sang about this earlier. I lift my hands up. I lay my whole life down. It's for you. All praise to the Lord most high. Like that's the attitude. Everything I have, God, is yours. And I want you to take it and I want you to use it for your glory and your honor. Like that's a heart. That's, a, that's an attitude right there. And you can't serve God and money. It says that in the scriptures, Matthew 6, 24, where it says, you cannot serve God and money. See where I got that from? It says that no one can serve two masters. You can't have Jesus and your money on the throne of your heart. It doesn't work that way. There's only one chair. There's only one throne. Jesus belongs on that, not your money. But when we make the intentional choice to get that idol out of our lives, and again, it might be scary, but to trust in the Lord and say, I'm, I'm walking away from that. That is when we come into it. That is when we come into that peace and that joy and the balance in our life and the order in our life starts to come together because everything ultimately exists for the glory and the praise of God. And when we have that as our, our attitude and our spirit, God, it's all for you. You're at the center. Let's go. That's when we start to flourish. Again, I'm not saying that means God will make you rich. But you will be walking in step with the Lord and you'll be living that life that he has for you. What it comes down to, 
with anything, but in particular our money today. What it comes down to is trust. It's trust. Will you trust God? Will you step out in faith and do what the Lord is calling you to do in this area of your life? And will you choose to obey him or won't you? The ball is literally in your court because no one's going to show up at your door and say, you don't hand in your tithe right now, I'm going to beat you up or I'm going to intimidate you. This is all in your court. This is largely, ultimately between you and the Lord. Will you trust him or won't you trust him? And again, I said this already. I'm going to say it again before we kind of move on into the next bit. When you choose to trust the Lord with this area of your life, your finances, I promise you, you will not regret it. I promise you. And there are a number of others who would say the very same thing in here. 